Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to Season 7, Telepractice. It's not just screen time. Right. So welcome to the podcast mini-series Telepractice. It's not just screen time presented by speechtherapypd.com. Thanks for joining us for our third episode, Exploring Telepractice Around the Globe, International Considerations. This audio course is offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. I am your host, Kareen Hartunian Kukayan. I've been a speech-language pathologist for over two decades and working in telepractice for the past 12 years serving in both special education and healthcare. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. We love and encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box and our guest will answer them towards the end of the episode. As a reminder, if your state license requires CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. Kareen Hartunian Kukayan is the host of this podcast and receives compensation from speechtherapypd.com, and she is also currently the clinical program director at SLP Tele. Her non-financial disclosures are that she is the current SIG-18 Associate Coordinator for ASHA. Tara Real receives an honorarium from speechtherapypd.com for this episode. And as the owner and creator of the telepractice course, she is also the owner of Speechy Keen SLP Private Practice and Speaking Business. Her non-financial disclosures are that she is the SIG-18 coordinator for the American Speech Language Hearing Association. And now here's a little bit about our guest today. We're so pleased to have Tara back on the show. She was also our guest for episode one, determining who is the right fit for telepractice, SLP, and client. Tara Rail is a nationally certified speech-language pathologist who owns and operates a private telepractice clinic in Colorado, focusing on social cognition, executive functioning, and the use of technology in therapy. She's co-founder and president of Hacking Autism and the creator of the telepractice course. She has worked with clients in Illinois, California, Colorado, Rwanda, Thailand, Hong Kong, and the Philippines in public schools private practices, and via telepractice. Welcome, Tara. Thank you. By the end of the course, participants will be able to identify where to find information on licensure requirements overseas, list key contacts overseas to begin networking and supporting clients internationally, describe three important considerations when providing services across cultures. All right, so let's begin. 
by a general question about how you began your journey as an SLP and then coming upon telepractice. Yeah, so I started out in the schools in Illinois, and then my husband and I moved to California, and I was in the schools in California, and then I switched to a private practice. And I had been in the schools for a while, and I found that there was a lot I loved about the schools, but I also really wanted to focus in on some of the things I was really passionate about in the field. And so I began looking to work in clinics and other options for really focusing in and getting to specialize in the things I was interested in. And while working at one of those clinics that really, really specialized, they actually offered intensive programs in the summer for international clients. And it actually wasn't a preferred role for a lot of the SLPs, but having worked internationally myself prior, I really enjoyed working with international clients for like these two to six week, just really intensive programs. And one of the clients who was coming in from overseas was actually coming from a country that I previously worked in. And so I was really excited because I was like, oh, I've got some understanding and awareness of a country and landmarks and things from working there. And they were at the clinic and this client just made amazing progress. The family was just super supportive, amazing. And I vividly remember the last day we had a big park play date with all the other kids in the clinic that she'd had sessions with. And the client was crying and the mom was crying and I was crying because I knew they were going back to their country where they had no support. For this client. And I really wanted to find a way to continue to support them. And I reached out and I reached out to the contacts. I reached out to Ashen. I couldn't find anybody with the knowledge and the know-how of the treatment plans we'd been using to help them there. And so then I dug a little further into Asha and they had said we could use telepractice. There just weren't a lot of guidelines for it yet at this point. And so I asked the client, I was like, look, I'm going to be figuring this out. I don't really know how to do this yet. Keep in mind, this is way prior to 2020. And there just weren't a lot of people doing it yet. I said, but I'm willing to try if you are. And the family was like, yes, absolutely. Hands down. So we had very little information on how to do it, even how to be HIPAA compliant and how to do it to protect their privacy and internet speeds and platforms and all of those pieces. And so I just read everything I could from telehealth, from doctors' perspectives who are working international from teachers who were teaching maybe English overseas, everyone and everything that I could track down and find at that time. And so we began doing telepractice and it was fantastic. And then they made it part of their family vacation to come back to the United States every summer so we could see each other and reconnect. And that was over 12 years ago now. And I'm actually still seeing that client and helping her move into her college dorm when she comes into the United States here this fall. And so it kind of then snowballed because that parent then told other parents who then told other parents. And so now my practice is actually 90% international at this point. I'm getting goosebumps thinking that you've kept in touch for so long. That's amazing. So it basically blossomed out of a need and there was nothing there. So that's really amazing to hear. Now, what about international telepractice drew you in and made you want to continue? I never saw myself being an international telepractitioner or being a telepractitioner full-time. I remember when I first started seeing this one client, I told my husband often and my coworkers often, well, yes, and I I enjoy it with this one client, but I'm always going to have in-person clients. And famous last words, I have no (laughs) in-person clients. I've been 100% telepractice now for a decade at this point and love it. But what really drew me international was that I hadn't ever planned on being an international telepractitioner. But it was this weird connection of wanting to be a specialist and loving specializing in one really area, just being really good at one thing. I have so many SLP friends who are these fantastic school SLPs and are good at so much, and it just didn't work for me. I really wanted to zoom in and be good at this this one thing to be able to 
research and geek out on it and figure everything out there was about it. And that really lined up really well with this international piece because all the clients I work with currently internationally, they do have access to SLPs, but they're running into this situation where they don't have SLPs there who specialize in what I specialize in. So (laughs) it turns out that while a lot of the U.S. clients could find specialists in their area, local to them, SLPs who do this, internationally, it's even much harder to find SLPs, much less to be able to find SLPs who then specialize in the areas I do. And so it just expanded. I love being able to help families who can't get help in these areas. And then that paired nicely with the telepractice piece because a lot of the countries I work in overseas, there's a really, really big stigma around special needs or needing additional help from like a speech language pathologist or a psychologist or an OT. It can actually really hurt parents in their job promotions. It can even hurt them in their housing choices and stuff if they know that their kid's getting help from a speech language pathologist. So being in the home by a telepractice, I'm also able to help a lot of these families because they can kind of keep it under wraps, the support and the help they're getting from the social stigma part until their countries progress into more of an accepting role an accepting place of those needs. Yeah, I had no idea that it was to that level. So that's really amazing that you can help them to that depth. So what are the first steps to starting international telepractice? First, take a really deep breath because it's about to be a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) It can be really, really confusing to figure out what countries you can work in, what you can't, how to do it legally and correctly in the different countries. And like I said, having been international now since the start 12 plus years ago. It's been an even bigger learning curve as more countries have created SLP licensures, those pieces. So the first piece is always figuring out the licensure. Asha says that we had to be licensed where we sit at the time of the session and where the client sits at the time of the session, unless there's a law around that or the other country doesn't have licensure or they give you permission not to need licensure in their country for telepractice. So always my first step is to reach out to the SLP organizations in that country. And many, many, many countries have SLP organizations. Now they're all varying sizes and varying in the amount of support and even the amount of influence they have in their countries. But ASHA has a really, really good list on their website where they list out all the organizations by country. So that's always my first step. But I remind people that this isn't going to be a really fast response, especially if it's not an English speaking country and you're sending them an email in English. You have to be able to give them time They might need to find somebody to translate your email and to translate to write an email back. You might not hear for a while. You might need to put in the effort of, okay, here's the information I need. Where can I get this translated to then get that information to them? It's taken me a lot of emails to some countries repeatedly to be able to get the information back that I have needed and emailing lots of different people and lots of different organizations. But always first is figuring out what the licensure rules are. Do they have a license there? Are they going to require me to have a license? If not, are they willing to put that in writing an email that I do not need a license in order to be doing telepractice into their country? But there's a lot of instances where I just can't reach or find them through that avenue, through their SLP organization. Not every country, actually a lot of the countries I've run into are not what's called self-governed. So we aren't here self-governed. So ASHA has a lot of influence. We have our C's, et cetera. But that does not mean, as we all know, just because we have our ASHA C's doesn't mean we can just practice anywhere. The states have their own licensures. That's where it's self-governed here. However, places like Australia, they are self-governed. So as soon as you have your certification, your license from the SLP organization in Australia, you're covered in Australia. So there's a lot of different moving pieces and you've got to figure out how the country works. So I don't always hear back from the state organizations. That's always my first step that I try. Then what I do is I always say, Google is your friend. (laughs) 
And you have to dig a lot of digging, a lot of clicking so far into websites. You don't even remember where you began or how you got to this page. So bookmark often because you might never find that page again if you need it. But a lot of Googling. Also, SLPs are really good at supporting SLPs, especially internationally. So I recommend a lot of SLPs reach out to the international schools in the country that they're doing. Because one, the international schools often will speak English and they will often have an SLP. So I can often reach out to the SLP in the international schools and ask them if they could just, I respect your time. I'll sometimes offer compensation. You can help me navigate this. I'm happy to pay you to help me navigate this or just tell me what office is. I mean, I've had to have parents or other SLPs actually carry my paperwork to where it needs to be because no matter how many times I mail it, it never arrives. Pieces like that. So really reaching out to SLPs, they're often very willing to help in the international schools. And Yes, social media can help, but I like to give a big warning on the social media piece is a lot. I see a lot of people go onto the SLP telepractice international groups and whatever someone says on there, people then take as law. Okay, well, then I don't need a license in Germany. Great. Fine. Perfect. Awesome. I can just see clients telepractice into Germany and I don't need it. This is always a good starting point. I always say social media should only ever be a launching point. It should never be the end all be all of information. If somebody gives me information, be like, great. Can you give me the website you found that? Or can you tell me who you emailed to get that information, those pieces, to make sure that I've done my due diligence to respect the country that I'm going into? And that's just the licensure piece. We have to look about licensures, certifications, verifications. A lot of countries require verification of our education, even with our ASHA Cs. So there's those pieces. And sometimes there's actually visa and tax considerations and implications we have to be aware of, too. So tell us a little bit more about those additional legal considerations. Yeah. So telepractice, remember, can go two ways. So I kind of always speak about it and I don't intend it, but I often speak about it. We're sitting somewhere in the U.S. where we're licensed and we're seeing clients elsewhere. But I've also heard people who are like, well, I really just love to be able to go to Mexico. I've got family or a home down there, you know, and I'd like to stay there and work from there. And the tax and the visa piece, the tax piece is already complicated for us here in the States. And a lot of people don't realize when you're a telepractitioner, Some states don't have taxes, like income tax. Others do. Others don't care about the money you're making in their state. If you're not physically in their state, some do, like California. Being here in Colorado, having clients in California, California wants my taxes from my clients in California, and then I get a tax credit for my own state. It becomes complicated. Add that times 100 when it comes international sometimes. Some countries absolutely don't care that you're seeing clients there because you're not physically there. Physically there then absolutely impacts things. If I'm going to be working from Mexico or I want to work from Australia or my husband's been stationed somewhere overseas and I can go there, but I can still keep seeing my clients here in the States. Those have a lot of implications based on where you are at the time of the session. Are you in a beautiful home in this countryside of France? Are you on the base in France? Those change your legal standings as well. And then whether or not you need a working visa versus just the travel visa that you're on and the tax implications of where you sit at the time where clients sit. So that can be really hard to navigate. And then you run into this incident in other countries where one country doesn't always mean one license. So some countries have multiple licenses. So for example, let's talk about China. China technically has ownership of a few countries outside of that. Let's talk about Hong Kong. However, Hong Kong's SLP process is completely different than China's. So even if I was licensed in China, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm covered in Hong Kong and vice versa, because even though they're one country, they're working on two systems. Same thing is true for Ireland. Part of Ireland is part of the UK. So your UK license will cover part of Ireland, but not all of Ireland. Ireland's also covered by its own governing body in the part of Ireland that is not 
controlled by the UK. So there's all these interesting complications and it's it's fun. It's like a puzzle. You get to be like Sherlock Holmes of telepractice licenses. It also gets to be a bit of a headache sometimes, but there's a lot of SLPs out there who are navigating it, who have figured it out, who are teaching courses on it, who are willing to help steer you and give you the first link to start your journey. If you have other countries that you want to work in, or you have a client who's moving to another country, those pieces. Yeah, definitely a lot to consider. So what are some complicated rules you've run into? I think you already gave us one example, but if you want to share a little bit more about that. Yeah, so definitely Ireland is a tricky one. It's a really tricky one because it's actually really easy. If you have your ASHA C's, the UK is part of the MRA, which is the Mutual Recognition Agreement, which means our C's make it actually really easy for us to transfer over licensure to the UK. Now, that doesn't mean it's necessarily easy to see clients in the UK because they have the nationalized healthcare system. So that adds some extra layers that you have to take into consideration when working with clients who work inside of a national healthcare system and whether or not you have to be registered with them and what the rules are for their specific healthcare system, because lots of countries have different ones. But then you run into the Ireland issue where Ireland's not all full of UK. Like I mentioned before, China. Now, China and Hong Kong have very different systems. Now, here's the deal. Taiwan, and that's a very controversial thing if you're speaking to me, is whether or not Taiwan is part of China or they're not part of China. But Taiwan actually has their own system as well. And the thing is, these systems are constantly changing. There were rules prior to COVID. There were rules that happened during COVID. There's rules that happened afterwards when it came to licensure and what they would allow and not allow. And that's constantly, constantly changing aspect of things. And so it's just constantly needing to navigate lots of different systems as they're ever changing and understanding how the countries work legally and politically to know what's okay and what isn't. Because I could have a UK license. I can have a client who's in London. We're like, hey, we're going to Ireland for vacation. Can you see us? I then get to become an expert on Ireland geography (laughs) to figure out what part of Ireland they're in and when I can see them and when I can't. And it's just another level of understanding the country that they're in, how their systems work, and really making sure that you keep open communication, not only with the clients, but with the organizations within those states too. So help us out because this seems like so much. I wonder, what are some of the first things that you do when you begin working with clients in a new country? One of the first things I always do is I talk to my clients about OTs, PTs, psychologists, tutors, other SLPs that they are working with or have worked with or know of in country, how they like them. And then I start connecting with those other professionals. I find it really important to start building those networking connections to one, to support the professionals on the ground there, to have a better understanding of the dynamics and aspects there, and also to be able to refer clients because it it does me no good if I'm here and my client, I see my client desperately needs occupational therapy or they desperately need psychological help and I don't have those connections. So I start building my network as soon as I have even just one client in that country because parents talk. People always say, Tara, what's your marketing strategy? My marketing strategy is that parents talk. And this parent's going to tell this parent, this going to tell this parent, especially if they're in a country, like I mentioned before, where they don't really support special needs. Because those parents find each other because they're not as welcomed in all the circles. They kind of start creating their own circle. And then they all start talking within that circle. And that's where I get a lot, a lot of my referrals. So what we run into is that then I am working with this client. They're referred to another client. And if I don't know who the professionals are on the ground there, I'm doing a disservice to my clients, their families, not knowing who to refer to. So I'm always, my, what's one of the first questions I ask new clients is who have they seen? Who have they worked with? Who do they know who's good in their area? So I can start and even reaching out to these people saying, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Are you open to referrals? If I have another client who needs you, those pieces. 
I also join the SLP organizations in country. And I'm really, really passionate about if you are going to be working internationally, you need to join their SLP organization. And I trust me, I know it adds up. Pasha takes X amount, right? Right before Christmas every year, you know, right during Christmas every year. And then these other countries, they all have fees as well. But join the SLP organization, no matter how small, no matter how big, because it's really important that if we're working in these other countries, that we're making sure that we're also supporting the organization and the in-country SLPs in every country that we're working in as well. Because here's what I want. I'm not going to walk into this with a scarcity mindset of there's only so many clients and they're mine, they're mine. I really want to make sure that I am saying that there's plenty of clients to go around and I want to see SLPs and the SLP profession grow and develop in every country. I want us to see that we don't have this deficit, that we have enough SLPs for the need that's out there. And I can do that by supporting the organization who's supporting the on-the-ground SLPs in that country as well. I really like that. And it helps them, I'm sure, not feel like you're taking away from them. I'm not sure. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. But what are some important considerations when you're starting to see your clients overseas? And number one is internet stability, hands down, both on your end and their end. When I started international over 12 years ago, my clients did not have fiber. They did not have cable. They had satellite internet. And if you don't know, satellite internet doesn't work well when it rains. My clients were in a part of the country where typhoon season is a real thing. And so typhoon season would hit, their internet would go down. I mean, we had to set up the whole house. We met early in the morning before most of the house was even awake. And then we had to make sure that nobody was streaming Netflix. Nobody was playing video games. No one was streaming music. No one was doing anything on the internet so that we could keep it stable enough for our session and make sure it was stable enough, not only for our session to continue, but that we could actually make progress on our goals during those situations. So make sure that they have stable internet. If they don't understand how that internet dynamic is working, I'm a big person on speed test. I did my speed test before I even hopped on today, but I also have my clients speed test before they hop on the sessions so that we make sure that we're starting at a good place in our sessions and making sure that we can have that really good, clear connection. Those pieces. I also prefer to use a platform that lets me buffer. So the platform I use lets me take on some of that demand for bandwidth if my client doesn't have it. I have a ridiculously fast internet because it's my job. And then what I can do is I can take some of that load off if they're having a busy day, especially think about during COVID. A lot of my families live in high rise apartments where a lot of people are on the grid. A lot of people are using the internet. And so therefore making sure that I've got fast enough internet that we can keep their internet stable. Access to technology resources. This was really hard during COVID because people couldn't get new laptops. They couldn't get new webcams. They couldn't get the things they necessarily needed. And even now, some of the countries that I've worked in have still been going through lockdowns up until even just a year ago, less than a year ago. And so making sure that we have access to those things and what technology we're able to use within the home and being really creative and actually access to space within their sessions as well, because some of my families, they're living in smaller living environments. Do they have space where they can actually connect, where they can actually get away from the noise in the house and the distraction to focus in on the session? And also things like multi-generational households, which aren't as typical here in the United States, but are very typical overseas. And how many people are in the house and where can they go? And how can we get everyone on the same page to support our sessions? And that's number one for me. And number two slash number one, I think they both kind of hold the top place for me in international telepractice is really cultural competencies. When you're jumping into these other countries, we got to realize what biases and what understandings we're bringing to the table versus what our clients are bringing to the table. You know, I'm 
constantly learning, constantly having to learn more about the countries where my clients are constantly learning about their lives there, the culture there, the way things work there. I had to be really willing to ask questions when I just didn't know, when I just didn't have any idea or understand something that was saying. It has been very humbling to be an international telepractitioner because I've had to admit many times that I was wrong and lay down my pride and be willing to say, you know what, I'm sorry. That was insensitive or I did not understand that to now. Thank you for explaining that to me. I'm sorry that I said this or that I did this, those pieces. And then really be aware of different things in the culture that really influence our clients, things that you need to take into consideration with clients, whether it's religion of the country they're in, when it comes to holidays, when it comes to scheduling complications, when it comes to belief systems, even around the needs of their child, really being willing to constantly learn that and build your cultural competencies as you go. It's a steep learning curve. Even if your clients, for me, some of my clients' parents actually got their advanced degrees here in the United States and then went back to other countries, but there's still a cultural influence in that country that's super important and super valuable to them that I need to learn. You know, they know a lot more about me than I necessarily know. It's been really good at building relationships with the families when I've been willing to be humble and be like, you know, I didn't know, or I'm sorry, or can you help me? I don't understand and give them an opportunity to educate me the same time I'm working and educating their child at the same time. I would love to hear an example if you're open to sharing something that we may face just as an international practitioner, an example of something that you might have learned through this where you made an inadvertent mistake and then you had to repair the situation if you don't mind sharing, whether it was about a belief system, a holiday scheduling, anything at all that you want to share regarding that. Oh, I have so many. (laughs) But I think my favorite example was I'd grown up, my father traveled international a lot for business when I was growing up. So I felt like I had a decent understanding of, you know, not good cultural competencies, but a basic understanding. And I always understood how, you know, I had heard and I had professors at the university from India and stuff. And I already always had heard about the caste system in India, you know, in this hierarchy. But I didn't realize how much that influenced a lot of cultures in Asia. And during COVID, my caseload kind of shifted to another country and it just exploded there. Like it just filled up with a bunch of clients from a country that I'd not worked in, that I'd never visited, that I didn't have a lot of knowledge about. And fantastic families, fantastic kids, love working with these families. And it came time to schedule, to start the new schedule for the new school year. And Asia was in lockdown a lot longer than we were. And so they had virtual schooling and all these pieces. So I sent out the email I send out every year to all my clients, which says, here are the available time slots. Please pick your top two so I can figure out the SLP scheduling piece we've all gone through at all points in our (laughs) career. And crickets. Like a week goes by, 10 days go by. And these parents have always been good about replying to emails and good about responses. I get nothing. So I send it out again, not calling anyone out saying, hey, I'm still waiting for a few. I've heard from nobody. Still waiting for for a few people to get back to me. So if you hear this as again, in case you didn't see it the first time, another 10 days go by and I hear nothing. And thank goodness for this absolute saint of a mom who sends me a text message like, hey, can we chat? And I was like, sure. She was like, that was a big faux pas. You've messed up. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, you didn't send the invitation to the first mom. Like you sent it to all of us at the same time. No one's going to respond. We can't respond until the top tier mom responds. We're not allowed to. She's not going to respond because you sent it to her with all the rest of us. So you're not going to get anything back when it comes to scheduling. Thank goodness this mom was willing to give me hints as to who was the top mom. They all know each other because they all referred each other. They literally have a private text message that's called 
Tara's moms where they all like WhatsApp each other on the side and stuff. So they all knew each other. They all knew who was in that country who saw me because they're all part of the same social circle there. So thankfully she gave me a hint and I could figure out who the top mom was. So I actually then had to send an email being like, I am so sorry. I got caught up in work. I really should have asked you first. And sure enough, not only did she give me her time, I literally said, do you think you could help me schedule the rest of my schedule? Within 20 minutes, I had my entire schedule done for the school year because it was in the system. And there's no way for me to figure out the system because the system is literally where the parents work, where the parents went to school, where the kids go to school, who found me first. There's so many pieces here. It would have been absolutely impossible for me to find this top tier. So again, I'm so thankful that not only was I able to be humble, but another mom was willing to be like, hey, you messed up. That's not how it works here kind of piece and help me figure that piece out because I had no idea that that was such a cultural piece there that I was stepping on toes and accidentally insulting a lot of people. Amazing. Wow. Before we go on to, I wanted to go back to what you were referring to regarding technology and the internet. And I don't know if you're able to share the name of the platform. You mentioned that there's some buffering where you're able to absorb some of the bandwidth there. If you could provide a resource for that. Yes. So I use Zoom. I use Zoom since pre, well pre before COVID. I have a whole soapbox I could get on when it comes to HIPAA compliance and BAAs and Zoom bombing and all that pieces. But my stance is and continues to be that Zoom is perfectly safe when it's used correctly by speech language pathologists, including password protection and encryption, all of those pieces. And one of the things I like about Zoom is that Zoom is made for international communication. And because it's made for the actually more of the business world that I have found that the tech pieces, the tech components, the upgrades, the tools that are put into it, all of those pieces, I are much better than a lot of other platforms that I've used. So I like the ability and the control I have within uh, my sessions in Zoom. And Zoom does allow me then to take on some of that bandwidth when my clients don't have the bandwidth that they need. It also, if you're working with our tick, Zoom is one of the only platforms that will allow you to turn on original sound and turn off the sound buffering. So that means when you can't hear the F sound, the S sound, the Z sound, when you're working on our tick and you're ready to lose your mind, it's because so many of the other platforms are eliminating those sounds, cutting down on our affricates and fricatives so that they don't come through obnoxiously on our microphones. However, it makes it really hard for us to hear as SLPs. Zoom actually has the ability to go back to original sound on both ends so we can do really clear examples for our clients and then we can hear our clients correctly to hear whether it's accurate or distorted when we're working on phonology and articulation as well. So I am a big Zoom person. I don't get any kickbacks from Zoom, I promise in saying this, but (laughs) it's also been, and I've used many, many platforms in the 12 years. Zoom was not around when I first started telepractice, but Zoom has been my absolute favorite when it's come to using it for telepractice and has been the best for my international piece. All right. So I think we had a question from the audience regarding what do you think is the most easiest country for beginning SLP work in other countries? Is there one that you would prefer to work with over another? I think nowadays, especially with the MRA, I would say countries that have the mutual recognition agreement with ASHA, because it makes it really easy to get the licensure and there's a lot of SLPs doing it. So you'll have a lot of support. When you go to countries that maybe do not have licensure, like lots of parts of Africa, some parts of Asia, et cetera, you're, you're kind of trailblazing a lot of the way. Whereas if you're heading to a country with the MRA between us and them, you're able to find a lot of support there and a lot of direction that can help you really learn to navigate that system early on. However, and I feel like I'm beating a drum here, 
So I apologize, everyone. But Ireland is listed as being an MRA country. Don't do it. I have a very, very good, dear, dear friend of many, many years who's an SLP who is from Ireland, went to college, went back to Ireland as an SLP. Ireland changed their legal system. So they are not self-governed any longer. You now have to go through what's called Karu. I'm probably brutalizing that name, but it is a separate licensing board, separate from their SLP organization. And that is the definition of a nightmare for people in Ireland. For those of us outside of Ireland, it's a special level of nightmare. So I highly recommend against jumping into Ireland unless you are really good at navigating the systems and have a lot of experience navigating the systems. Like, look, I've been international for over 12 years now. I won't touch Ireland with a 10 foot pole because their system involves police investigations into your past and health records investigations. And it's extremely invasive, extremely easy to mess up. Yeah, it's yeah. (laughs) So I would definitely start with a mutual recognition agreement country. That's the UK, that's Australia, but just avoid Ireland, because you'll have a lot of support, a lot of direction and very, very clear websites in English in countries that also speak English as well, either as a primary or secondary language. So you get a lot of support when starting in those countries. All right. Thank you for that. So let's continue to talk a little bit about how do you stay relevant and connected to international clients? I tell people all the time that if somebody didn't know me and they were to look at my news feed, they would be extremely extremely confused (laughs) because my newsfeed is a little tiny bit of local news for me, but it's actually primarily connected to my clients. My weather apps are connected to my clients. I have widgets on my phone that are the time for the different countries that all my clients are in at any given time. So it's really, really important to know what's happening in the country. Why, Tara, do you have them in weather? Because like I mentioned before, typhoon season, hurricane season, drastic weather happens all over the world. Volcanoes erupting, Yes, I have clients in countries where volcanoes have erupted before. And so me knowing that, me getting key weather alerts and stuff lets me know maybe they didn't have school. My clients get school canceled when typhoons are coming through because the streets are flooded. They can't get to school. Maybe the power, if they didn't connect, there's a good chance power's out if I check their weather and I realize like, oh my goodness, there's a hurricane passing right by their island right now. Pieces like that. So I absolutely always keep track of what's going on for the weather for where my clients are located. I also keep track of the big news pieces. Big news pieces are important. There's a lot of instability in some of these countries when elections happen. Everyone feels a bit of instability and unsure, I feel like, in any country when elections are happening and there may be a switch of power or shift of power. And this is particularly true for a lot of my clients where some of my clients have been dealing with a lot of corruption in their countries and the politics have been really unstable for them, especially post-COVID. And so me knowing what's going on news-wise I know where my clients live in their country and a huge piece of scaffolding fell right on a bunch of cars right near where where my clients were. So when I was able to send the mom an email and be like, hey, I heard about this. Just want to make sure you're okay." That makes them feel like a human being as well. But I'm not just seeing them as my client, my client's family. I like I know about them. I know that when that scaffolding fell, I knew where they were located. I knew it was close to their home and location and was checking up on them. COVID was a big one. And this is one I get super, super passionate about because my clients were still going in lockdowns as of last March in extreme lockdowns. And that was really important for me to understand because it was impacting the mental health of my clients, their families, the financial stability of their families. I had my clients whispering. I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little emotional. I had my clients whispering in sessions last year for me. Why? Because if it was found out that they had COVID, their pets were being taken into the street and killed in the street. 
And so it's so important for me to know what's going on there for the families, to understand why everyone's stressed in the household, why they may have colds and they're hiding in their home so that nobody would find out and so the government wouldn't find out. Pieces like that. That's important for me to know. That's important for me to know not only for my clients, but from the family and from seeing them as a whole person, not just as a set of goals and as a paycheck and as those pieces and really identifying them. I see a lot of teenagers, so keeping up on pop culture, especially overseas, Some of my clients this weekend are getting to go see Harry Styles. They're traveling out of country to get to go see Harry Styles. And so keeping up and knowing pop culture here, but how it's also influencing other countries overseas and how close the country is. This big, huge plane trip they're taking, getting to go see this big performance and stuff. Holidays, Chinese New Year. I had almost a whole week off. Why? all my clients travel to other countries. And thankfully, my clients are very aware of licensure rules. And so they know they have to tell me they're leaving the country, you know, and we can't have sessions. And then, like I mentioned before, politics is really important that I follow in other countries. And I think that's really the way to stay relevant and connected with those international clients is to know what's going on in their world. And many of my clients have only seen me 2D. They've never seen me in person. Some have. Some have actually vacationed here in Colorado to see me and to meet me in person. Like they plan their whole family vacation around getting to finally go meet Miss Tara But some haven't. And so I've actually started a new project. I was posting on it about my Instagram about a week ago where I've actually become pen pals. And so we'll actually write letters back and forth to my clients in Asia and my clients back here and me to all of them, even my clients in California, but stopping and writing those letters, sending them a little token of something. I have a bunch of stuff here. I was just recently sent a bunch of Chinese New Year red envelopes from a bunch of my clients that just arrived in the mail not too long ago from them. And so that kind of builds a reality and that builds connection there too that I found is finding ways to actually send them a picture of me doing something here and they're sending me pictures back and us having that connection that we're real people and that what they're doing and how they're living their life is important. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. A couple of really interesting questions from the audience. I think there was a question here on how you would collect payment from someone in another country. So this is for telepractice overall. Do not get paid through PayPal. Do not get paid through Venmo. Please don't stop. PayPal specifically changed their rules last January. So over a year ago now where you can no longer take healthcare payments through PayPal. So do not be accepting payments through PayPal. And I I see many, many, many people doing it through Venmo. Venmo, a bunch of them have a, a similar statement where they will not accept healthcare payments. Here's why. They're watching all that information. They're using all that information to then target ads to you and to your customers. So they're seeing who they're paying, why they're paying, where payments are coming from, and they're using it to target ads. It's a marketing angle for them. And so that's why they won't do it more because they can't look at the payments that are coming through healthcare because that's protected information. So I collect my payments actually through Square. So Square will give you a BAA, which is a business associate agreement. Now, Soapbox moment for Tara. A BAA does not make you HIPAA compliant, but a BAA definitely helps when you're filling out the paperwork that you need to have on file to be HIPAA compliant. So if you can have a BAA, that's awesome. And Square will give you a BAA. They will not look at the payments. They will not track those payments. They will not have that information. And there's a lot of great lawyers out there have written on it who say that just that credit card transaction is not necessarily private health information, personal health information, that it would be HIPAA controlled, but you have to be really careful around that. So my invoices that I send to families at the end of the session contain zero information as to who I saw, what I saw them for, why I saw them, et cetera. It's literally the invoice with like, it just says date on it. And it literally just says minutes 
on it is all it says. So it could be a massage for all anybody knows for that piece. If my parents, my families or my clients want maybe a more a super bill or a more detailed invoice, those pieces, then that goes through much more protected avenues than through Square. And Square is strictly how we pass the payment back and forth. And it makes it very easy because it deals with all of the exchange rates and all the different prices and the dollar, what's the dollar worth at any given time and all that. Keep in mind, you will be absolutely charged a fee for that. You cannot charge that fee back to the clients. That's against your terms of service. However, all of those fees that they take off, which really do not equal out to be a much like a buck 40 here, you know, $3 here, however much you're charging, it's always a percentage of that. Those are all tax write-offs. So you can just take those and add those up and then those are a tax write-offs. So just don't push that forward. But yeah, I do it all through Square. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> I learned something there too. Um, learning lots of things, actually. Another question from the audience. Do you know anything about getting licensed in Belgium? UK, Europe, EU as a whole is really complicated right now because some of them are all grouped together under one licensure and others are not. But if I am correct, and I don't know that I'm 110% correct here, so I apologize. But if you want to send me a message either on Instagram or something after this, whoever asked this question, I'd be happy to send you the links that I have. I'm pretty sure that Belgium does have an SLP organization. So I believe Belgium is one of the ones on the list there. And that's where I would start. I have not personally looked at Belgium. I know a lot about Germany. I know a lot about the UK and Ireland right now. I know a lot about Asia right now and quite a bit about Africa. Those are kind of my specialty areas in general. Okay. Let's see. Well, we might dive into a couple more of those if we have time at the end. I think we might have a little time. So another question from the audience. I'm curious to know what country or what culture it was where the caste system required you to contact the top mom. Most of Asia, actually. I've run into it in primarily most Asian countries that I've worked in. And I've worked in quite a few Asian countries at this point. And I did not realize when I jumped into this that it's just across the board. Now, it also is impacted by the socioeconomic status of the family as well. So the socioeconomic status of many, not all, but many of the families that I work with is a very, very high socioeconomic status. And that's when a lot of this caste tiered system comes into play. But I have run into it in multiple, multiple Asian countries at this point. All right. Thank you. So I know that we talked a little bit about countries that you don't recommend. Why don't we now talk a little bit, maybe a couple of comments or any kind of resources or information you have on Africa? We haven't touched on. (laughs) Yeah, Africa is interesting. There are parts of Africa that are working on the SLP licensure piece and are working on really unifying and organizing themselves as a profession, as a recognized profession. I've worked on the ground in Rwanda. When I was working on the ground in Rwanda, there was two SLPs in country when I was on the ground in Rwanda. And that was me and the person who traveled with me. So we got on the ground and honestly, I was staying with some good friends of mine. I'd actually gone to kind of give them a break and give them some relief for the home they were running. That's not how it worked out. It was totally higher power orchestrated for sure. I got there and people literally just started knocking on the front gate. All the compounds are surrounded by these gates and gated communities and People were knocking on the gate that they'd heard that we were in town. They were sneaking their special needs children out of the homes like early in the morning and late at night to come see me and the person I traveled with to see if we could help them and give them some direction. Apparently, there was a big Yahoo group and the news that we were on the ground went out in the Yahoo group that everyone in country followed. After that, one SLP 
had been born and raised in Rwanda, had gone to university in the UK and come back to Rwanda. And I was in close conversation with him and talking to him how it was going. I'd really hoped to extend telepractice more to Rwanda, but we're still to this day, we're running into a lot of internet stability issues. The coordinator for the global issues SIG for ASHA and I, me being telepractice coordinator and her being global issues, someone was fantastic. She's amazing. And her and I have been really talking about how to gain more understanding on the ground in Africa and who has the internet capabilities and the speeds there because licensure, while we do Egypt and South Africa and stuff, there are some licensure considerations and things happening there. A lot of the countries in the middle do not have any licensure. And so then it just comes down to making sure they've got the internet and technology stability for us to be able to reach out and do services there. And just someone's running some great programs out of her university in Ohio, allowing students to work in Africa via telepractice. Very good. Is there any resources on the University of Ohio website maybe to assist people who might be interested? Yes. She just sent me something recently. So I will see if I can get that pulled up so that I can find that information for sure. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm also curious about Australia. Do you have any information on Australia? Yeah. Australia is in a huge shortage of SLPs, similar to I feel like most of the world right now at this point. And they're in a really unique situation because they're actually offering a ton of like even workarounds to the work visa. They're like begging people. So if you want to go work in Australia, they want you hardcore right now, want you. And SLPs are actually also on the list for New Zealand. So New Zealand actually has a specific list. You have to be a certain profession to be allowed to like move and immigrate to New Zealand. And SLPs are on that list. But Australia, they are part of the mutual recognition agreement and they're self-governed. So once you become a part of SPA, you are actually just can now work in Australia. You are covered to work in Australia. And because everyone thinks Australian, they think Sydney, you know, but they actually have a lot of rural, rural communities. And actually the internet stability is increasing rapidly. And so there's a lot, a lot of need right there. The biggest thing you have to keep in mind when working internationally too, in addition to everything else we talked about today is time zones. So you really need to look at your time zone and their time zone and can you make it work? So for me, that means my Friday nights are very, very late nights for me because it is Saturday morning for most of my international clients. So I am constantly working that situation where I'm, you know, nobody will take on, like I've had a few few clients where I've been like, hey, does anybody want this client? As soon as everybody sees what time I'm working to on Friday nights, they're like, yeah, that's a hard pass, but I love it. Fridays are just my long days, but it's Saturday then for all my clients and I get to see it. So you just got to make sure you also where you're living. Can you work those time zones to either hit their weekends or hit those after school hours for your different clients as well in Australia? But Australia has a humongous need right now. And with the MRA, it's actually quite easy to get your license there. And if you have a license there, they'll actually work the visa. So you can go on a visitor's visa and they have a way where you can go on a visitor's visa and switch over to like a working long-term working visa. They do have a couple rules though. Most countries have a couple rules around being able to prove that you have dysphagia training and how many years you've been in the field as well. So I always say, if you're going to use the MRA, you have to have your C's to have the MRA. So I don't recommend it necessarily for CFs, but it's a great for those who already have their C's. Do you know why they require the dysphagia? Yeah, a lot of older programs prior to 2000, even early 2000s did not have, ASHA did not require us to have necessarily in-depth dysphagia courses within the grad programs. That was kind of a, a growing thing in the early 2000s. And so people who are coming in, some of them will just have to be that you have to prove that you've had advanced dysphagia training. And advanced, I don't mean like you don't have to have had a fees course. By advanced, it just means you have to know more beyond what the definition of dysphagia is. You have to know actually to be treating. So some of them will actually have years. Like if you graduated prior to 
91. If you graduated prior to 2001 or something like that, you just have to prove that you've now taken additional coursework in dysphagia of some kind. And the reason is because of deaths and damage. SLP is going into those countries. Hey, I'm a trained SLP taking on jobs where they don't necessarily have the training. And then we're having aspiration. We're having these kinds of issues. So they want to prove that because they don't have licenses specific to school SLP versus medical SLP. It is just an SLP license there. They want to make sure that you can prove that you could work in all settings if you needed to. Otherwise, they're next on the line. And especially when you're looking at countries where they are self-governed, they really don't want to happen to them what happened in Ireland, which was Karu coming in, taking over the licensure, taking it, and they're no longer self-governed and pretty much stripping the power from the SLP organization. So that means they have to prove that they're keeping their patient's best interest in mind or necessarily the deficit in SLPs. That makes sense. And somebody was wanting a little bit more clarification on the type of clients you serve. Um, Do you serve adults with neurocognitive linguistic disorders? So currently I work with, and this is just current caseload. Current caseload is I work with preschool through adults. For me, a diagnosis doesn't matter. I'm completely private pay at this point. Some parents do do super bills, and seek reimbursement through insurance, but I am 100% private pay and I am strictly working on that executive functioning component. So some might have a TBI or traumatic birth at some point. Some might have mental health, trauma, a reactive attachment disorder, ADD, ADHD, autistic pieces like that. So the diagnosis really doesn't matter for me. It's strictly just that they have that deficit and that need inside of executive functioning. And that's where I focus all my work and research and courses I create and everything is for families and stuff is all focused around executive functioning. Thank you for clarifying that. And somebody was wondering if you have any information on working in Korea or licensure process in Korea. I don't have specifically for Korea. I've actually started researching that. So I do have a bit of research. If you want to reach out to me on Instagram or somewhere else after this, only because my husband has been going and working in Korea during the summers. And so he wants me to come with and so I have started that rabbit trail navigating that one, just to figure those pieces out. And my husband's best friend is Korean from Korea. So thankfully I have help with navigating the systems and figuring out the websites and all of those pieces. So I've started navigating that one and would absolutely be happy to share any information I found thus far. I haven't gotten too deep into it at this point, but definitely figuring that one out just strictly from that perspective of hopefully going, being able to go travel with my husband next time he has worked there. All right. Thank you. And I know you mentioned early on that your initial process for this happened to be somebody you were working with in person and the opportunity started when they moved internationally and you continued that. However, I believe this next person is asking, how would you get a client if you haven't had that opportunity to work with them in person? And if you're just starting this literally from you're located in the U.S. and they're located overseas. And how would you initiate that first client? Finding an SLP or a provider on the ground who's working with clients would be a good referral place for you. The nice thing, especially with the international schools overseas, is that they don't fall into that same horrible practice that the public schools do here. Where If we verbalize a referral for our clients, then the school might have to pay for it. And so we're not allowed to tell in the schools that we think that they should go to a specialist for this or things like that. International schools aren't held to those rules. And so they're often very readily to be like, oh, you need help in this? 
here's a referral list. Here's an SLP we know. Here's what we use for this or that, or here's who we would go to. So I often, I, like I said, even though I typically get my clients first, I always work to make those connections then with any psychologist they've worked with, any SLP they've worked with the school, the counselors at the school. I'll absolutely hold meetings with them. My model of business is a little bit unique and I kind of frame it as more of a concierge SLP service, whereas my families pay more money, private pay to me, but I'm more readily available and I am networking more often with their other private services that they receive, IOT, PT, psychs, school counselors, teachers, those pieces, working with them in order to be able to have those connections. But then I'm also making those connections with those professionals on the ground to then be able to say, because we've got a lot, I mean, we see it even here. We've got a lot of people who are diagnosing maybe autism or ADHD, but then they're like, and you got two-year waiting lists at the therapy clinic, but good luck. I'm able to then get my name in those to those people saying, I'm available for this, I'm available for that, you know, and I've actually found overseas has actually been way more open to telepractice because they've done a lot more via video conferencing prior to COVID. So they don't necessarily have the framework of telepractice looks like emergency COVID telepractice, which a lot of families were burned by. They've got a lot more of an open of like, oh yeah, we've done doctor's appointments and telemed for years prior to COVID. So this is nothing strange to us. Really good to know. And then do you have any special programs that you use for therapy materials? I'm not sure if this was the reason why this person is asking this question, but I would imagine having access to different languages or just any comments you want to make regarding therapy materials you use with international clients. Yeah, all of my clients speak English at home. They usually speak more than one language, but English is one of their primary, if not their primary languages at home. So all my therapy is done in English, executive functioning. My clients all primarily go to international schools where English is spoken as well. So everything I'm doing is in English and through English and via English. And I make sure that we're all on that same page before I start my sessions. But then when it comes to telepractice after that, I mean, I use a little bit here and there. I like Ultimate SLP for a quick game or a quick activity, especially for my younger kids who might need help. I am a big fan of, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but I'm a big fan of PowerPoint. I actually build a lot of my materials out in PowerPoint. I do a lot of work on PowerPoint. If you go onto YouTube and you Google my name, you'll see a bunch of videos I did at the beginning of 2020 with Bill Binko of Lesson Picks and got them to kind of change how they do their whole program. Bill's amazing. We changed the whole program. So now it actually integrates with Google Slides and with PowerPoint to make it easier to play games and interact or do activities or build worksheets and build practice cards with my clients. So I do a lot through those. But then a lot of the programs I use when it comes to executive functioning, I'm using a lot of different programs from a lot of different people that then are typically more physical materials that then I'm adapting to use via telepractice. Great. I love PowerPoints as well. I think the basics are sometimes the best. All right. Well, any other nuggets of anything you want to share regarding any other countries that would be good to work with regarding international? Yeah, I always think a good place to start is with those MRA countries. And I feel like it really spreads out from there, especially with a lot of my international school clients. Moving is not abnormal for them. They might only be in a country. They might be a guest at a university, a guest professor, university or a guest designer at a design firm or guest engineer, or they're being transferred between countries. And a lot of my parents, like that's their specialties. It's international work. So they get moved around quite a bit. And so that then kind of leads me to more licenses. I, I joke, some people collect Starbucks mugs. I collect licenses at this point, but that opens up the door to more licenses. You know, I had a client who moved from one country to Singapore. And so I've started the process of figuring out how to get a license in Singapore, you know, because they'd like to continue services now. So I'm working on my Singapore license currently and all my free fun time in order to be able to continue to see that client. And then 
They are talking to people at the schools there, and that's opening more resources and connections for me there in that country, those pieces. So it's it's very much just starting and getting your foot in the door and even just getting your first client and doing well. My, my biggest thing with telepractice is 2020 telepractice was not telepractice. That was SLPs and teachers stepping up and being the awesome people they are to make it work when the entire world imploded on us. Now that we're past that, we've got the public health emergency ending. So that's going to change a bunch of stuff for a lot of our clients. And make sure that you're constantly getting training. I've been doing this 12 years. I'm still constantly taking training when it comes to telepractice technology. I'm going to technology conferences to learn what's the latest tech coming out. Never, never stop learning and getting better at it. Because if you are good at what you do, not only therapy-wise, but telepractice-wise. And those are two very different skill sets that you've got to mesh together. But if you can get good at both of those and get them to mesh together, that will build your international field and your client pool very quickly because those families are paying for good services. They want good services. And if you are good at what you do and you are good at telepractice, they will talk, they will spread your name. As long as you assure them that you will not boot them if they refer you to other people. But you can definitely then build that international pool really, really well. How do you approach and do assessments with international clients? Same way you would do it with in-person, keeping in mind that my clients are English speaking. So I don't necessarily need to take into account the other language component there, which you can. Same as you would in person. You know, if you had a client come into the school that you're working in at the hospital and they didn't speak English, absolutely pull an interpreter into the Zoom meeting with you and run the assessment that way. Many of the assessment companies now have online assessments you can use, think like Q Global, things like that. Many of them will actually often still let you use the paper assessments as well. But please, if you're going to do assessments and you haven't done assessments on telepractice, make sure to get training on that because there's a lot of different ways that you can do and a lot of things that can keep you ethical as well as legal when providing those assessments. But there's a lot of really great ways, especially with how great technology is, to be able to still do those assessments via distance and overseas. And have you had to participate in any IEP-like meetings in other countries when working with school-aged children? Because of my executive functioning piece, my clients don't get IEPs. That's why the parents are looking for outside services. One, because their kids don't get IEPs. Because typically, it is impacting academics, but they're not failing because the parents have 27 tutors outside of school. My kids' schedules are so full with tutors. And then also because they're just not very common in other countries, especially at the international schools. Many of the international schools, your kid has to be performing at or above average to actually be in the school, or they have to be significantly, significantly impaired. And that's why I find those SLPs are good connections in those schools because they are completely booked by the really, really high needs clients that my clients are falling through the cracks, but the parents do not want to be seen walking them into a clinic. They want, do not want to be going to an in-person speech therapy clinic. So they would much rather be doing it in the secret and the quiet of their home. And it's a big step even for the parents to ask for that help. And so to really be able to then support those parents and build it to where now they're telling their friends about it, they're explaining it to other people and they're understanding it more because it's not talked about in their cultures and in their communities, but the parents are desperate for the help and they're stepping out of their comfort zone and even against their own culture and asking for help there. And so again, not a lot of IEPs, not a lot of IEPs in the systems that my clients are in specifically, but I have absolutely worked closely with the schools, talking with their counselors, talking with the teachers, talking with administration who've all been extremely open. Again, international schools. So not necessarily within the same culture that my clients have been in. And those international teachers, international counselors have been amazingly stellar at helping to make adaptations because they don't have necessarily an IEP system in these schools. 
but really wanting to help me help these clients and being my hands and my eyes and willing to make changes to locker rooms and make changes to desks and things like that, that I can't not being physically there in the building, but really willing to listen and open and having that open exchange back and forth as to how we can support each other. Wow. Really authentic and genuine change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're making a big impact. I did want to start wrapping up with a couple of reflective questions. How have you grown as an SLP since working internationally? So much. I mean, I think many of us graduated from our grad programs ready to uh, change the world. I went straight to the public school system and I was going to revolutionize the school system and make it a better place. And my clients taught me way more than I think I taught them initially, realizing how much bigger their needs were beyond just what was happening in the speech room and also just different points of view and different cultures and socioeconomic status. Oh my gosh, learning so much. But working internationally has absolutely grown my cultural competencies a huge as well as humbled me a ton as an SLP. And I love it. I wear it absolutely as a badge of honor being a telepractice SLP because working with these families and learning about where they're from and having them plan their entire vacations around. Now, granted, we got the Rocky Mountains, but planning their entire vacation around Colorado just for a chance to like see Miss Tara and meet Miss Tara and go to the zoo. We've gone to the zoo or we've gone to my science museum here or we've gone hiking here in the mountains or something like that. But for the parents to see not only such value in the services, but such value in the connections that they've built with me that we have been able to really make those authentic and deep and personal and real connections and being able to impact and being able to see that it's not just my client and it's not just my client's goals. It's my client as a whole person and making sure I'm giving them autonomy. And it's not just my client, it's their whole family. It's their whole community that I'm interacting with when I'm interacting with this client and needing to understand how that community works and how that family works and how mom versus dad works versus grandma and grandpa versus aunt and uncle and all those perspectives coming together. And I've talked with so many members of so many families and really coming together to try and have that interaction and that impact and help them all understand in their each their own ways of how we can all work together to make change together. And what is some advice that you would give anyone that's about ready to embark on this journey? What is one takeaway that you would give them today? Ask for help. Don't just dive in and think you've got it figured out and think, okay, well, I I think I've got all the right licenses. So let's just jump in and ask for help and ask for lots of help and double and triple check everything. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for help along the way and asking if this is all I need and asking if anyone knows an SLP in this country who I could chat with, things like that. Asking for help and really trying new things. And being okay with making mistakes, I would imagine, right? Oh my goodness, yes. (laughs) It sounds like an exciting ride. So thank you so much. Yeah, I just wanted to say, if anyone wants to reach out to me or has any questions, I'd be happy to help. I'm very busy, so I'm not ignoring you. If I don't respond right away, feel free to ping me a second or third time if you don't hear from me. Lots of messages coming from lots of places. But yeah, I'm out on Instagram at SLP and also Tara at SLP.com if you want to ask questions or I'm happy to send you the links or connect you with Chisomo out in Ohio at Baldwin Wallace University and the work she's doing out there or any information coming from the SIG. Thank you so much. So that would be Tara at SpeechyKeenSLP.com. Thank you so much, Tara Rail. We truly appreciate your research, education, and expertise you provided about exploring telepractice around the globe international considerations. And be sure to join us for our next episode, episode four, which will be focused on accent modification through telepractice. 
As a reminder, if your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. Have a great evening. Thank you for joining us for tonight's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you're a part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to the course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to be reflected on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.